Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today's podcast is in Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is a psalm of David, a rarity in the book 4 of the Psalms. Psalms 90 through 106 constitutes book 4. It's a psalm of David, but he doesn't deal with his enemies. He doesn't even make a request. He calls upon himself in this psalm to praise the Lord. Listen to these first five verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This psalm opens with those words and it closes with those words. It is an inclusio and everything within this psalm should be seen through that lens. Bless or praise the Lord. Several times the psalmist speaks to himself in this kind of fashion. Psalm 42, 5, Psalm 42, 11. You see this kind of thing. You see it elsewhere in the Psalms. But here he calls upon himself with all his energy and power to bless and praise the Lord's holy name. In verse 2, the opposite of blessing and praising the Lord is forgetting His benefits. If we forget His benefits, we aren't thanking Him, we aren't praising Him, we aren't exalting Him for all He has done. And notice in verses 3 through 5, that the text states five things the Lord does, five benefits or blessings the Lord gives. In the original language, these have a definite article and then state a participle to describe continuing activity of God. What does God do? In verse 3, He forgives all our iniquity. Our sins he can cast in the depths of the sea. Micah 7, verses 18 through 20. Do not let our familiarity with forgiveness. Let us lose our sense of wonder at what a great and mighty thing it is. God, who forgives all our iniquity. God, who heals all our diseases. This doesn't mean every person that ever gets sick and is a real believer is going to get better, but it does mean ultimately every time we're healed, it is not just the work of the doctors and the medicine, but it's the work of God. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases He redeems our life from the pit. In Psalm 30, in verses 3 and 4, 
In Psalm 88, verse 3, the pit is used as a synonym for Sheol. Maybe God delivered the psalmist from a near-death experience who redeems my life, your life, from the pit. And in verse 4, who crowns our life with steadfast love and mercy. The word crowns can refer to putting a crown upon a king in Song of Solomon 3 and verse 11. And God is the one who crowns each individual believer with his unfailing love, with his loving kindness and his compassion, with his steadfast love and his mercy. And God is the one who satisfies us with every good thing so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Isaiah 40 verse 31 is a good passage here. It is interesting to look at the word satisfy in verse 5 and the word forget in verse 2. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verses 10 through 12, and Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 14, Israel is warned that when they come into a good land and they are satisfied with all kinds of good things, not to forget the Lord's benefits. Sometimes our very, the very fact we are overwhelmed with God's blessings, that we live in a land of plenty and abundance, can lose us to grow numb to how blessed we are. We who have so much can demand even more instead of being thankful for every good thing. Let us not do that. Let us bless the Lord with all that is within us and forget none of his benefits. Do you notice that Psalm 103 is going to expand its scope? Verses 1 through 5 stress what he has done for the individual. And verses 6 through 14 seem to focus particularly on what God has done for the nation, for his people. Now you might say, why would I say that? Why would I say that this refers to the nation? You notice in verse 7, he's made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. But what has God done for Israel? In verses 6 through 14, the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. 
as far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. God does righteousness. He does righteous deeds. He brings judgment for the oppressed. Sometimes we think of righteousness and judgment as simply punishing the people who are wrong. But in this particular case, doing righteousness and justice is associating, associated with delivering those who are oppressed. God has revealed himself through Moses and through the sons of Israel. In verse 7, God has revealed his word and his way through them. I know the statement of verse 8 is one of the most important statements in the Bible. Do you know how I know that? I know that from how frequently it is repeated. It's repeated in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. It's repeated in Numbers 14 and verse 18. It's repeated in Joel 2 in verse 14, in Jonah 4 in verse 2. And there are other passages like Psalm 86 verse 5 and 15 that repeat this idea. God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He is overflowing in loving kindness. Loving kindness is the same word used in verse 4 when God crowns our lives with loving kindness. And it's used here in verse 8. God is overflowing in loving kindness. It's used in verse 11. So great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And it's used in verse 17 where the loving kindness of God is from everlasting to everlasting. God's mercy and grace exceeds our comprehension. He is overflowing in it. And verses 9 and 10 tell us four things the Lord will not do. What does the fact that God is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, that he's compassionate and gracious. What does that mean? Well, it means in verse 9, he will not strive with us. The word strive is a legal term. It's translated chide in the ESV. It may be translated contend in some versions. But God will not forever bring a case against us. Nor will he keep his anger forever at the end of verse 9. In verse 10, he's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarding us, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. God hasn't given us what we deserve when we deserved it. And if he did, none of us would be here today. Four things that tell that God tells us he will not do. But then in verses 11 through 13, he uses three illustrations or metaphors to describe 
his great love to us. In verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. How high do we have to penetrate the heavens before we leave our atmosphere? And if we left our atmosphere, we continue to be in God's world before we reach the heavens. We can't measure the distance between ourselves and the heavens above. So great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. We can't measure it. In verse 12, He uses a horizontal description to match the vertical one in verse 11. In verse 12, horizontal, as far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He has removed our sins. He has removed our transgressions as far as east from the west. He uses a vertical illustration in verse 11. He uses a horizontal one in verse 12. And he uses a relationship metaphor in verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And in verse 13, we see the magnitude of God's love who as a loving father is always welcoming the prodigal back home. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And in verse 14, he knows our frame. He knows we are but dust. It is so interesting that Psalm 90, which began book 4, ties the fact that man is dust and man turned back to dust. It ties it with man's sin and with God's anger at man's sin. Psalm 90 verse 3 and its bigger context. But here in this particular passage, the text emphasizes while Psalm 90 attributes the fact that man returns to dust, to God's anger at man's sins, Psalm 103 verse 14 uses this same idea to tie to God's mercy at man's weakness and frailty. He knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. Now, this is true for God's dealings with all, for all who fear him, as you see the expression in verse 11, 13, and later in verse 17. But particularly, it's stressed in God's goodness to Israel. But the scope of Psalm 103 continues to widen. Its wingspan grows and grows in verses 15 through 22, as for man, his days are like grass, 
As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. Man's brevity of life is compared to the grass. Psalm 102 did that in verses 3 and 4, in verse 11. And you see it here. His days are like grass and like the flower that passes away. But in contrast to man's brevity and man's limited lifespan, the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. Understanding who God is, what he does in verses 3 through 5, what he doesn't do in verses 8 and 9, and the depth of his love as described in verses 11 through 13, this demands a response to, of us. We must fear him, verse 11, verse 13, verse 17. We must, in verse 18, keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. We try to walk faithfully to the Lord who's faithful to his covenant with us. In verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all you his host, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God's throne, God's rule, God's sovereignty, God's kingdom is over all. And therefore all, even the angels, should praise him. And the angels are described as ones who perform his word and obey his voice. And all the heavenly hosts are called to praise him and serve him by doing his will. Bless the Lord all the works of his hand. So the chorus of praise, the chorus of praise continues to grow from the individual in verses 1 through 5 to the nation in verses 6 through 14 until all creation and all the heavenly host are praising him in verses 19 through 22. The wingspan of this psalm continues to grow. And each time we take up this psalm and read it, we add our voice to this chorus of praise. How do we see Jesus in Psalm 103? Jesus forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. Mark 2, verses 1 through 12, tells us a day that Jesus was teaching in Capernaum. And when he was teaching in Capernaum, there was a full house. No one could get in through the door. But some men, four men, have carried their paralyzed friend to Jesus to bring to him. And they see there's no room in the door, and they go up on the roof. And they dig through the roof and they let down their friend in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven to the paralyzed man. 
Some of the scribes began to blaspheme and said, Who is this man who says he can forgive sin? And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, asked, Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, Rise and walk, or to say, Your sins are forgiven? Now, I want to tell you, I've heard arguments for everything in that particular question, which is easier to say. I think the answer, whether to let the paralyzed man walk, whether you let the paralyzed man walk, or whether you forgive sins, either takes the power of God. Jesus forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. Jesus said, so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins. I say to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And Jesus redeems our life from the pit. Now, we stated that the pit is sometimes used as a synonym for Sheol in verse 4. And we see that in Psalm 30, verse 3. We see that in Psalm 88, verse 3. But Jesus expands the meaning of these words. Not only does he deliver us from a near-death experience, but because death could not hold him in its clutches. Jesus burst forth from the tomb, alive, raised from the dead. Because of that, he gives us life. He is the resurrection and the life, and he who lives and believes in him shall never die. Jesus redeems our life from the pit. And the cross is the ultimate display that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The cross is the ultimate display of that. The cross is the ultimate demonstration that God's loving kindness to us, the loving kindness to those who fear Him, is as high as the heavens are above the earth. And it is a demonstration of the love that forgives, and it is the means of forgiveness, the way he removes our sins from east to the west. And the cross is the ultimate illustration of the Father's love for his wayward children in verse 13. In verse 17, the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Think about that. In light of Ephesians 1 verse 4, which tells us God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's from everlasting. And it's to everlasting. As Paul preached in the resurrection in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, thus they will always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4:17 The loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting This is a beautiful psalm read it reflect on it bless the Lord 
oh my soul, and all that is within me, his holy name.